book two chapter eight of strangers and pilgrims this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by john brandon strangers and pilgrims by mary elizabeth brayton book two chapter eight she weeps alone for pleasures not to be sorely she wept until the night came on and then instead of love o oh misery she brooded o'er the luxury alone his image in the dusk she seemed to see and to the silence made a gentle moan spreading her perfect arms upon the air and on her couch low murmuring where o oh where no flicker of colour brightened the pallid cheeks no ray of their accustomed light shone in the dull eyes and yet elizabeth was not ill she was only intensely miserable i only wish i were ill she said impatiently when her aunt urged the necessity of medical advice change of air some speedy means by which blanched cheeks and heavy eyes might be cured for in that case there might be some hope that i should die but i am not ill i don't believe my pulse beats half a dozen times more in a minute since malcolm ford renounced me i eat and drink and sleep even more or less there are a good many hours in every night in which i lie awake staring at the wall but before the maid comes to get my bath ready i do manage to sleep somehow and i dream that malcolm and i are happy walking on the common just beyond our house at hawley i never dream of our quarrel only that i am with him and utterly happy i think the pain of walking from one of those lying dreams and finding that it is only a dream is sharper agony than the worst vision of his unkindness with which sleep could torture me to dream that he is all my own to feel his hand locked in mine and to wake and remember that i have lost him yes that is misery whereupon mrs chevenix would dilate upon the childishness of such regrets and would set forth the numerous deprivations which her niece would have had to endure as mr ford's wife how she could never have kept her carriage or at best only a pony chaise or one horse wagonette the hollowest mockery or phantasm of a carriage infinitely worse than none as implying the desire for an equipage without the ability to maintain one a thing that would be spoken of timorously as a conveyance how as a clergyman's wife she could not hope to be on a level with the country families how all her natural aspirations for style and society would be nipped in the bud while such means as her husband could command would be devoted to the relief of tiresome old women and the maintenance of an expensive choir from this dreary picture mrs chavanee branched off to lord paulyn his generosity his self-abnegation 
his chivalry his thousand virtues and his three country seats if i could be talked into marrying a man i don't care a straw about while i love another with all my heart and soul your eloquence might ultimately unite me to lord paulyn elizabeth said with a sneer but i am not quite weak enough for that i dare say it sounds very ungrateful after all the money you have spent upon me and all the trouble you have taken about me but oh aunt chevenix how i wish i had never come to london the beginning of my visit to you was the beginning of my quarrel with malcolm how could i slight a wish of his i loved him hopelessly for a long year before i won him and i only kept his love a few short weeks was there ever such folly since the world began mrs chevenix urged brighton as the universal healer of cockney griefs what londoner does not believe in the curative powers of brighton for all ailments of the mind and body the pleasant treadmill tramp up and down the king's road interchanging affectionate greetings with people you met yesterday in bond street the agreeable monotony of the pier the pervading flavour of london which mingles with the salt breath of the sea mrs chevenix declared that in that cheerful atmosphere elizabeth would forget her griefs it is not the season for brighton i admit she confessed reluctantly but there are always plenty of nice people there in the goodwood week or we might even stay at chichester if you preferred it you are very good to trouble yourself so much about me said elizabeth trying to be grateful yet with an air of extreme weariness but i assure you there is nothing the matter nothing but a sorrow that must wear itself out somehow as all sorrows do i suppose when people are young and strong as i am and not of the stuff that grief can destroy the best place for me is home i shall not give any one trouble there i can just live my own life visit the poor perhaps a little again with a faint choking sob or teach in the sunday school and no one will take any notice of me i am not at all fit for society i don't hear what people are saying and i'm always in danger of answering at random and i don't want people to talk about the worm in the bud or to sit like patience on a monument and all that kind of thing let me take my sorrow home to holly auntie and dig a decent grave for it there go back to holly yes to meet that man again i suppose and begin over again no fear of that i had a letter from gertrude this morning i'll read you what she says about him if you like she took out a closely written letter that wondrous composition a lady's letter utterly devoid of intelligence likely to interest the human mind yet crossed and bracketed and interpolated as if brimming over with matter we have all been surprised by mr ford's sudden desertion of holly and can only imagine that things are ended between you and him and that you have returned to your old idea about lord paulyn 
i know auntie had set her heart upon that match and i never thought your engagement to mr ford would survive your visit to eton place other people could see my peril said elizabeth bitterly as she folded the letter it was only i who was blind other people are blessed with common sense and would naturally foresee the termination of so ill-advised an engagement mrs chevenix replied sharply she was fast losing patience with this favourite niece of hers who had fortune at her feet and spurned it the day will come when you will repent this folly she said at a time when it may be too late to retrace your steps even lord paulyn's infatuation will not last for ever you have trifled with him too long already trifled with him echoed elizabeth scornfully i have only one wish about him that i may never see his face again mrs cinqmars called in eton place a day or two after the private theatricals and was full of anxiety about her sweet elizabeth entreating to be allowed to see her if only for a few minutes but this privilege miss luttrell refused obstinately i detest the whole set and will never see any of them again she said fretfully when her aunt brought her that lady's message nor did mrs chevenix press the point she did not care to expose her niece's faded countenance to the sharp eyes of mrs cinqmars she did not want the rancho world to know that elizabeth had been deserted by her lover and had taken that desertion so deeply to heart after about a week of anxiety during which she had hoped every day to see the girl's dull face brighten and her spirits revive with the natural elasticity of youth mrs chevenix lost heart and hearing of some particular friends who were just returning to torquay she consented to elizabeth's return under their wing they would take her to exeter where her father could meet her on the arrival of the down train so that the proprieties should be in no manner outraged by her journey the girl seemed so utterly broken down that it was hopeless to expect her speedy revival all mrs chevenix's ambitious dreams must be held in suspense till next year unless destiny imposed in some beneficent manner during the hunting season when lord paulyn might reappear at the vicarage and find this wretched girl cured of her folly so elizabeth had her wish and went home went home to bury her misery in the dull quiet of the old life glad to be released from that brighter world which had now become odious to her it is possible that some lurking hope some expectation she would scarcely confess to herself was at the root of her eager desire for that homeward journey she went over that brief sentence in gertrude's letter again and again they had been surprised by mr ford's sudden desertion of hawley what did that mean had he returned to his duties and announced the approaching termination of them or was the desertion of which her sister wrote an accomplished fact had he bidden them farewell and departed to some new field of usefulness had he shifted the scene of that laborious career 
which mother church reserves for her children i shall be enlightened to-night she said to herself as she bade her aunt good-bye at paddington in the brilliant summer noontide the departure platform was crowded with holiday travellers people who appeared to be serene in a fixed belief that this life was intended for the pursuit of frivolous pleasures she sat in the corner of the railway carriage with half-closed eyes during the greater part of the journey pretending to be asleep as a means of escaping the benevolent officiousness of her aunt's particular friends but she was conscious of every feature in the landscape that flashed past the window and the journey seemed of an almost intolerable length to her weary spirit her father's mild face peering in at the window when the train entered exeter's stately terminus struck her with an emotion that was almost pain she had thought of him so little during the past few months had lived her own life a life of pleasure and vanity with so supreme a selfishness she clung to him for a moment as he kissed her with a remorseful tenderness why lizzie my dear how ill you look he said startled by the settled pallor of her face that looked at him with such a new tenderness maria told me nothing in her last letter there was nothing to tell papa said elizabeth i am not ill only very tired that foolish theatrical performance i'm afraid my love or or looking at her anxiously you may have been unhappy about something some misunderstanding i have seen ford they were alone together in a deserted waiting-room the south devon train having whisked mrs chevenix's particular friends off to torquay then you know all papa with a feeble attempt to appear supremely indifferent that he and i did not suit each other and have agreed to differ as some one says somewhere something to that effect my dear but ford fully exonerated you he took all the blame upon himself very generous with her old scornful laugh but the usual thing in such cases i believe are you very angry with me for coming back to you in this forlorn condition angry with you my love how can you imagine such a thing ford is an excellent fellow well, could never have been a good match for you i am not the kind of man to interfere with my children's wishes but your aunt had inspired me with more ambitious ideas about you and i confess i was disappointed then you may be quite happy papa mr ford and i have parted for ever he turned him right and round about upon the irish shore and gay his bridal reins a shake with adieu for evermore my dear with adieu for evermore end of book two chapter eight recording by john brandon